0: Welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty.
1: Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about reducing erosion on the farm. If you've got questions for us about that or anything going on in your operation, just give us a call here. 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter or X, I guess, Ag PhD Media, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, let me start you with this. Erosion, in my opinion, used to be a lot bigger challenge on the farm than it is today. Don't get me wrong, it is still a challenge. But it used to be a lot more of a concern. But thanks to modern technology, uh, we have a lot more ways to manage it. I'll just go back to our grandpa, who farmed this, well, at least a little bit of this same ground that we farm. So he had our home farm, uh, then her dad did, and then we do. All right. If I go back, whatever it was, 60 years ago, 70 years ago, he put terraces in. Why did he do that? To reduce erosion. And if you think about how could he kill weeds? uh, It was with tillage. How could he kill bugs? It was with Tillage. How could he reduce compaction? It was with tillage. Um, How could he reduce disease pressure? It was with tillage. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying tillage is bad, okay? It's not. But the thing is, when you have to till and till and till and till, it makes it really challenging if you're going to reduce erosion when you have slope, which we do on our farm. We've got—I don't know what it is, 10, 20 percent of our ground is highly erodible or considered highly erodible by the NRCS. Um, we got we got plenty of slope here, so we got to do something to slow that water down and hopefully improve infiltration. And that's where reduced till comes in. So we do a lot of strip till on the farm. We had done a lot of no till prior to that. Uh, just anything we can do to get that water to slow down, we catch the water, we get the water to go in. And it's not just reducing tillage. Okay, here are a couple other things that I want you to think about. One is tiling. And you might say, wait a second, how in the world is tiling going to reduce erosion? Oh, it's real easy. Because if ground is ever fully saturated, how much more water can it take in? None. Which means when you get rain, where does the rain have to go? What's going to run off your ground? And when it runs off, what's it going to take with it? Pretty obvious soil. So typically what we see is a 40 to 60% erosion reduction when tile gets put in the field. Here's the next thing. Look at improving infiltration. And you might say, well, how am I going to do that? Well, one of the ways is just literally by the amount of calcium you have out there. So if you've got really high magnesium, let's just say, or high sodium, high salt levels, you're going to have problems with infiltration. If you can get your calcium percentage up at least to 65%, If not 75 or 80%, you're going to have better infiltration, period. Calcium is a much bigger molecule than magnesium. And that means that you're going to have more pore space in that ground. So, calcium is great for soil structure and soil health. I'm not saying magnesium is bad. You need a certain amount of magnesium, but if you get too much, now you got a problem. If you get too much sodium, now you got a problem. Too much salt, problems. So, the more you look at that overall composition, and this is why we suggest you soil test. You don't have to soil test every acre every year, but you definitely need to soil test and see what's going right and what's going wrong and try to fix the things that are going wrong before it gets really, really, really bad. Unfortunately, that's when Darren and I usually get the soil test, when it's uh, in horrible condition. And it's been getting that way for 50 years. Okay, If you can catch it somewhere before that, preferably a ways before that, before you're 50 years down the road and your soil's dead, um, you're going to be in a lot better shape. And So I know we're talking about erosion, but it all kind of goes back to overall soil health. Because just think about it. When you lose any of your ground to erosion, would you say that's your worst ground or your best ground? Take the top one-eighth of an inch of soil, Is that your worst ground or your best ground? It's amazing soil in most cases. I mean, compared to what's below it. It's usually higher in organic matter. It's usually got a fair amount of nutrients in it. It's really good. It's got soil life. We don't want to lose that stuff. So that's why we're talking about this topic today, reducing erosion on the farm. So we'll get to that all throughout the show. Again, if you would like to visit with us about erosion or anything else in your farm, call us, 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can send us an email and we'll answer it during our Ag PhD Mailbag Time, which is coming up right now. It's now Mailbag Time with Brian and Darren. Okay, Brian, here we
0: are in the fall and a lot of folks are thinking about their lawns and now's my shot to do a few things. Quack grass is on the mind of Tammy up in North Dakota. She said. Watched your show. Enjoy it. We're not farmers, uh, but, but one of our friends has been on your show. And uh, anyway, love learning about weeds and different things on the show. Wondering about quack grass and lawn. I don't want to kill the lawn with Roundup. I'd prefer to save the grass. Uh, But it's been impossible to get rid of this weed. Do you have any better ideas than just killing the whole yard off with
1: Roundup? I don't, unfortunately. And when you kill that whole yard off, you have to make sure it's the highest labeled rate of Roundup, a fairly low volume of water. You want to make sure you have great concentration um, in each droplet because... That quack grass is hard to kill, and you want to make sure you completely eliminate it. Because if you partially eliminate it, well, then you're going to reseed the lawn; and it's going to come right back. So, permanently eliminate it. Now, some people have tried things like pendimethalin in the spring. That's pral. Um, will that help suppress quack grass? Yes, it will. Is it going to be perfect? No chance. So, I mean, before you go to something like killing the whole lawn off, you can you can try that if you
0: well, want. Well, the the cool thing with crack quack grass is a lot of times it gets taller than your regular lawn grass. So I'd mow your lawn and then let the quack grass come up a little bit taller and you can actually brush Roundup onto those tall yes, quack grass leaves. Another option. And then you're probably still going to kill a little bit of your grass, but not all of it. And then do everything you can to establish a really thick, uh, <laughs> a thick turf to try to hold the quack grass out. Yeah, that is probably the toughest weed that we face in in our turf Definitely. grass here. thanks for the question, Tammy. Thanks for the support, too. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: When it comes to combines, capacity and costs keep going up. So if you aren't the largest farm in the county, how do you achieve the high harvesting efficiency of the big operations while still keeping costs in check? Start by checking out the Kloss Trion 740. The latest Kloss combine delivers high reliability, low maintenance, gentle threshing, and surprising efficiency. The Kloss Treon 740. Learn more at kloss.com. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman, when there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH.
0: Case IH, built by farmers.
3: Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year. BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth.
4: Insects have reigned since the dawn of time, adapted to their surroundings, experienced the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids extinction from your fields they may have lived through it all but they won't survive this End soybean aphids rain at ridgeback.corteva.us
0: reducing erosion is our topic today on ag phd radio thanks for joining us If you would like to weigh in on this topic, or if you have any agronomic question, our phone lines are open throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us a question as well, radio at agphd.com. Got Dave Sender with us right now with environmental tillage systems. Now, tillage is right in the name there, Dave, and that makes everybody nervous. Oh, no. How can I do tillage (laughs) and still manage erosion? We're doing it. Uh, So what are the keys?
4: Yeah, so the key is, I guess, to to start off with oversimplifying it would be to um, don't completely till your field. Um, So in our case, uh, we're talking doing it in strips. Um, We've got a number of different growers that are, are doing it for a number of different reasons, but reducing erosion is always at the top of their list.
0: Yeah, strip tillage has been interesting for us. We've got some hills where we farm and I know some, you may be listening and say, hey, I've been to your farm and it's it's not as hilly as where I'm at. Uh, okay, I get it. There's always hillier places, but we got some hills and we're worried about erosion all the time. And when we started doing strip till, that was our concern is, man, the hills, if they just all went one direction, it would be great, but they seem to go every which direction. So, at some point we're going up and down the rows it's been kind of fun now with the the silage that we're doing dave and cover crops uh, i know you've got a lot of your customers that that are utilizing cover crops with that strip till system what have you seen
4: yeah you're you're absolutely right i mean there's been a, such a growth with with growers using cover crops it's been it's been really Neat to see a lot of the different things they're doing, but that definitely is a, is a great tool to have in, in the toolbox, as they say, to help reduce and in some cases uh, eliminate uh, uh, erosion. Just from the standpoint of having a living crop there with those roots in the ground, it, it really holds that, 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 uh, that soil together. And, and in both facets, both in, from a from a moisture standpoint, you know, excessive rains or slopes, like you say, and, and even even the wind side of things. You know, we got a number of growers that have really seen big benefits, especially some of the sugar beet growers. I have seen big benefits in in reducing that that uh, that wind coming across the top of their fields, uh, especially when those beets are just starting to pop up. Um, so having a, a, a cover like that, a green cover, or even if it's a terminated cover in, in the spring, um, it definitely is a, a huge part of keeping those soils where they belong.
0: You know, one thing I was thinking about here, Dave, uh, we've got a, a number of listeners always, every year, hey, I'm going to try strip-till for the first time this year. So as, as guys are harvesting their crops... What are some things that they could do right now to set themselves up for the best experience with strip till for the first time, or maybe the first time in the fall, or something like that? Are there some different things they should know as they're combining a crop?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's always you want to start to kind of think about your your traffic. That's important, and needless to say, there's always so many different variables to consider when you're looking at, at soil types and topography. But I guess to start with is uh, you know, like I said, traffic, um, maybe be a little bit more organized about your traffic and how your, your fields are, are potentially going to be laid out for next year. Um, even even setting your uh, combine, um, I think a lot of growers nowadays tend to use more, you know, more chopping heads, things like that, to try to get that residue, uh, you know, as much of it knocked down, chopped up, et cetera, as, as they can. Uh, one of the things we'll typically say and, and, and granted there's exceptions to every rule, but we'll probably say, you know, don't chop your stocks. Um, you know, or if you have a you know chopping corn head, you know, shut the, the choppers off. Uh you know, leave some of that residue vertical. Uh there there are still customers customers of ours that still will chop their residue and, and and you know run their chopping heads and and whatnot. And and we can get through that. Um but that is that is one probably the one of the first steps and then like i said from there you start to look at what is next year looking like uh as far as field layouts and so forth and even row spacing i was speaking with uh, with someone here recently that is looking at going from 20 inch back to 30 inch from a conventional operation to a strip till operation so you know one of their questions was what what do i need to start doing in, in in advance of that so Your prior planning is always very important, and to start to think of things um, further down the road, and that'll help make that transition, you know, next year or, or whenever that much easier.
0: Yeah, a lot of things to think about. If you're thinking about making the switch over to over to strip-till, we strongly encourage you to talk to a farmer in your area that's been doing it. Talk to some of the experts in the industry like Dave Sender that we're chatting with right here with environmental tillage systems and, and learn the ins and outs so you can do things right, right from the beginning. Dave, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Yep, thanks, guys. Have a great day. You too. Got Lee Lubers with us right now, also farms in South Dakota, works with the Extreme Ag Group, and I know erosion control has been a, a big concern uh, for Lee and his brother, and they, they do a fine job with farming to try to manage that. Lee, what are some of the big things you'd say have really helped keep erosion to a minimum on your farm?
5: Uh, no-till has been a big key in our operation, but along with that, uh, then it becomes increased uh Residue management. So as we're increasing yields, uh, we also need to be looking at how we can get it to break down and keep it more even and uh, get it, you know, cycled back into the soil.
0: Yeah, that is a big concern as as you see really nice yields. And, you know, I was thinking about this, uh, just thinking about your operation and what you and Terry have been doing with crop rotation and the crops that you guys are choosing. That's got to play into this too to try to manage that residue a little bit.
5: Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Right now we're combining soybeans and no-tilling winter wheat uh, right behind it. So uh, residue management from the combines is very important.
0: You know, you talk about winter wheat, and I, I picked up a piece of ground oh, close to 10 years ago now, and it, it's probably the hilliest piece of ground we've got. And I, I was talking to a, another farmer, and he goes, you know what's going to work great for you, if you could do alfalfa or if you could do wheat out there? Think about the root system you're putting under it. And, man, was he right about that. When you, you put a crop like that with that kind of root system, uh, I don't have too much concern. Like right now, you're, you're harvesting a crop, you're immediately planting another one, you're going to have something living out there all year. Uh, what a great strategy.
5: Uh, yeah, we see the benefits of that. Uh, we've done root digs on uh, in the spring on two-inch tall wheat and, and digging down roots over a foot and a half deep in the soil with a sizable root mass. And, and all that comes into play when you look at the uh, systems approach that we're trying to do.
0: Now, I, I noticed one thing, too, about how you guys operate that I really respect. You, you've you got ground that you own, you've got ground that you rent, and seemingly it's all treated the same. And I know for a lot of uh, our listeners that own land, that that have somebody else farm it, they're always concerned about finding somebody that's going to care for that ground. How, how does that work out for you guys? Do you, do you work on long-term deals? Do you agree on what crops are going in there, or has that just been something you guys have always done, just treated it like it was yours?
5: I guess that's the way we started out. And uh, throughout the years, we've just uh, gotten to be better at communicating that uh, when we're introduced to a new landowner. And uh, we'll even take them out and show them what we're doing and the different things and show them photos and uh, and sometimes uh, uh, even talk to another landlord that we already work with and hear from them about what they've seen over the years and how things are improving in the ground and uh, at the same time, also yields are improving.
0: Yeah. The communication that, that, you and your brother do with your landlords i've been privy to a little bit of that and it's just really impressive it's a great example to to just hey let's just share with with landlords what we're doing out there why we're doing it and try to answer their questions as best we can and uh, build relationships that way it's it's really important because i know uh, most of these folks really really care about the the soil that's out there and want to protect it and that's why we're talking about reducing erosion today and, and getting a little advice from, from Lee Lubers too. Lee, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Good luck with harvest. Hey, thank you. And planting season, I should say, man, that's uh, just keep things rolling there. Harvest and immediately plant a crop right in behind it. Uh, it's a, it is a great strategy for reducing erosion, which is our topic today. If you have questions, if you'd like to join this discussion, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back after this.
6: You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
0: My mom's got a new case I extractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day.
3: Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriofol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions.
2: There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at
3: SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from FarmShop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel soybean bin, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 900 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about reducing erosion on the farm, and our previous guest here does no-till, does some cover crops, uh, really focuses hard on crop rotation, and you know, still, residue management is a big concern. And so, we've got to got to balance this. How do we handle stocks from a 250 bushel corn crop? And be able to plan into that and have great emergence next year. What what can we do to help those break down? What can we do to keep our soil in place as well? Got CJ Parker on with Case IH to talk about that just a little bit. How you doing, CJ? Oh, not not too bad yourself. Uh, we're doing well. I I am amazed that we can get a hold of you sometimes. I'm like he has to be so busy right now at this time of yeah, year.
7: I'm in, a, I'm in the middle middle of a cornfield right, right, right now, so so. <laughs> That's why um, mobile mobile phones are great. I guess. Oh,
0: they are. They are. Uh, okay, so uh, talk to us about this. What What are some of the things that farmers should be be uh, doing right now to address uh, soil erosion on their farm and protect their soils?
7: You know, that's a that's a great question. And I know you mentioned uh, residue management, and um, that's that's basically what it uh, what it boils down to. You know, and depending on on your field, whether you know highly erodible ground. Um, with, you know, you're going to need more of that residue, which is, is probably a no-brainer. But, but we also got to, uh, you know, especially if you're in a northern climate, or, or you know, we got to get that soil to warm up so we can get, get good emergence. So, um, you know, with, with some tools, um, like our VT Flex 435, you got the ability to adjust the gang angles. So when you get in those areas that are highly erodible, you still want to size the residue. You could change that gang angle up. Be more of a zero degrees, not be quite as aggressive, or um, and then you get to the areas where you're not concerned about erosion. You can you can handle that residue and be more aggressive with it.
0: That that is interesting, and I I know just looking at our own farm this year, uh, I've seen the guys doing those types of things, just changing those angles, and man, that makes a difference. I I just couldn't believe it myself without looking at it.
7: Yeah, yeah, and um, you know the other thing with like uh, a lot of a lot of technology and tillage anymore. It's no longer the, the dumb iron on the farm with uh, technology like like our soil command being able to, to write prescriptions. So I just watched an 875 Ecotiger go go by in front of me. You know, if you get to them areas where um, where you want to leave more residue but want to worry about compaction, um, you know, you write that prescription. In that area, raise them front disc gangs all the way up when you get to that area, um, and vice versa. When you're in an area where where you want to break up that residue, you can lower them back down or, or change the depth. So. There's lots of technology that's available to farmers today as well.
0: You know, one thing that I think a lot of folks don't don't know about K S A H is the agronomy staff that you have, the research work that gets done, and tillage prescriptions are one that uh, a lot of uh, just local agronomists that I talk to. That's something they haven't been doing yet. They they may give a recommendation on a whole field basis, but it, it's it's more common what, what you're talking about here, CJ that. Uh, Hey, traffic patterns are where you need some help, or hey, that low area that was a little wet when you were out there trying to get the crop out, that's going to need a little different depth of tillage or type of tillage than the rest of the field. These types of things are what's coming in the future, and they're, they're really not that hard to do either once once you know what you're doing.
7: Yeah, that's absolutely right, and there, you know, there's a variety of parameters that we can look at when writing a tillage prescription. You know, you, you know, an area where maybe your corn yielded 400, 400 bushels an acre, which is absolutely great in that one spot, but it comes with, uh, you know, you got to handle the residue too that comes with the 400 bushels. So you can have that machine be a little bit more aggressive compared to that spot. Maybe on a clay, clay now that only went, that only went 200 or 150 in that field, and uh, be able to make those changes automatically. Well, so those changes can be made today manually sometimes in the cab, but. Um, we understand it's not always the uh, it's not always the owner. You know, it could be it could be a hired man or another operator in there that may not know how to how to adjust for the for the soil types and and uh, the field variations on that on that specific field.
0: I'm glad you brought that up. I, I happened to be I, so I pulled into one of our fields and we had. Uh, one of our guys out doing some tillage and as soon as my pickup pulled in the end I, I saw his eyes around me he was wondering what I was doing and I was checking up on him and so I get out with my shovel and did a little dig in he sent me screenshots from what he was seeing with AFS soil command and it was amazing it, I said well it looks to me like you're going 13 or 14 inches deep and here's what you got and he sent me back a screenshot he's like yep 12.7 right now and I'm like you're doing great you're getting right underneath that compacted layer but I mean those kind of things are, are pretty that's that's fine-tuned I, I mean rather than I'm going to just do the whole field at 18 just so I make sure I cover things to be able to just do the tillage where you need and and shallow it up where you where you can get by with that too uh, that's a pretty good deal when it comes to reducing erosion
7: yeah yeah that's that absolutely is and to help to try to control it you know I personally that comes to mind with me with erosion is, uh, is, uh, is water erosion but, uh, but wind erosion if you go from, you know, heavy clay to, to a sand, sand in your field and so forth, um, it's all, you know, that, that residue management's huge. And to, and to help keep that valuable natural resource in the, in the ground.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of things happening out in fields right now with harvest. Uh, There's also residue management going on and uh, soil prep for next season's planting. We're very concerned about reducing soil erosion, and I know CJ Parker with Case IH is as well. Actually out in a cornfield. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us, CJ. I know you're super busy, but really appreciate the advice. No, No
7: problem. Anytime. Have a good one, guys.
0: You know, one thing, Brian, that we're doing too uh, with with this silage in our rotation now is being able to get out and throw some cover crop in there really early. I mean, we've got some cover crop that's six inches tall right now. It's well, fantastic.
1: If you, if you don't throw it out there early, it doesn't do you a whole lot of good. That's the problem. We end up with frost, well, usually about right now. So if you're going to go trying to seed something now and it's freezing outside, that's probably not going to work too well for growth of anything. So, that's where in the past we just have said, look, in our region of the country, our, our cash crop is our cover crop. If you're raising a full season crop, we literally will plant sometimes when there's still frost in the ground in the spring, which I know sounds crazy, but we do that. And then we're harvesting when there is frost in the ground in a lot of cases. There's no other time to raise anything else. So that, that, that cash crop is our cover crop. But yeah, in the case of silage or... Let's say we were raising some wheat or oats. We raise little oats um, every year. I, I mean, things like that, well, sure. If we've got that off in July or, like in the case of silage, late August, early September, we do have some time to raise a cover crop. And then that definitely helps us on the erosion side. That's really our biggest benefit we see. And it's good for the soil, too, when something's growing there. Hopefully you add a little more organic matter. But, I mean, there's a big difference between taking the grain out of the field only and taking silage out of the field. When you take silage out of the field, there is not a lot of residue there to protect that soil. So having a cover crop is a good thing. Now, Darren and I were just talking about this. I don't remember if it was last week. It must've been last week where Darren said, I think we're seeding our cover crop too thin. And I said, I I think it's perfect. Maybe even too thick. (laughs) So there's always going to be that debate out there of exactly what you want to do. But I mean, we just don't know when we throw the cover crop in how much growth we're going to get because we don't know how much rain we're going to have, how much heat we're going to have, when the frost is going to come, and how how well this thing is going to take off on us. So a couple of years ago, we had, I mean, by the time the frost finally killed it, because oats is fairly, as a cover crop, is fairly tolerant to pretty low temperatures, I mean, we had a bunch of stuff that was knee-high. Well, that's way bigger than what we need. Well, this year, I don't know if we're going to get there, Darren. I don't know if it's going to be knee high. And then, yeah, I can understand maybe you want it just a little bit thicker, but even so, I think it's doing its job. It's holding that soil down. It's going to absolutely reduce erosion on our farm. So it is a good thing
0: yeah yeah it sure is well you, you just have to change and, and here's the thing if you stay the same on your farm and just well I'm just going to keep doing things exactly the same as we always did you aren't recognizing that things have changed like for our farm things have changed we've got more heavy equipment running through our fields now with silage harvest manure, with manure application all those things and you know what we've been lucky the last couple of years that it's been fairly dry that they haven't created any big ruts or that kind of thing yeah. but there still is compaction yeah and we aren't used to that so we've had to change Change a few things up in our farm and adjust.
1: Yeah, and the thing is, we're always going to encourage you to try stuff on a small scale. Don't make it a wholesale change until you've experimented with it a little bit because there's always a learning curve. We're talking about
0: managing erosion on your farm, but we're taking your calls and questions too right after this.
3: Are you ready?
0: We got the need, the need for seed treatment.
3: Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego! Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions.
2: From the moment the first seed is in the ground, your days until harvest are numbered. Each day, every decision leads to your bottom line. So when it comes to harvest, rely on the only combine built to deliver the numbers you deserve. The Kloss Lexion gives you the quality, efficiency, reliability, and precision that make every minute count. Go ahead, let the numbers drive you with a Lexion Combine built by Kloss. In 1923, Bert R. Benjamin had a vision, an all-purpose tractor that could do more. With that, the Farmall was born. This year, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of Farmall, 100 years of milestones, 100 years of innovation, passion, grit, and they're doing it through your stories. Share them at farmall100.com. One lucky storyteller will win their own Farmall, the tractor that is the one for all.
4: You've done it, your yields are on the rise. But when it comes to marketing, are you falling short? Invest in yourself with Agris Academy. Agris Academy is offering a first-of-its-kind masterclass in commodity merchandising and risk management. Learn the best practices and tactics of the world's leading risk managers and apply them to your farm. Contact your buyers with a new confidence and boost your farm's profitability. Agris Academy's 10-week masterclass begins this November and is hosted on Acres TV. Sign up today with early discount code ACRES at agrisacademy.com. When nematode pressure mounts, seed-applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference from early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield. Impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Elite Grower. Don't delay. Contest ends October 31st. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Learn more at newfarm.com USST.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking about reducing erosion, and honestly, we got to give it up to the American farmer. You're doing such a good job on this. Erosion is down tremendously from just a generation ago. Brian, one thing that I don't think we talked about was tiling yet. And I know this is one of the things that uh, I was just chatting with a farmer It doesn't farm too far away from us, and he had made a comment about how tiling is completely turned around his farm and one of the big things is the water soaks down through the soil instead of running off the top. And when you farm in hilly ground, that's a huge, huge deal. Well, even when you farm in flat ground, that's a big deal. Uh, there's tons of university studies, not only in the United States, but around the world, showing how tiling and improving subsurface drainage reduces erosion.
1: That's a big, big deal. And uh, yeah, and like I said earlier, the statistic is it reduces it by about 40 to 60 percent if you look at all those university studies and other studies that have been done over the last hundred years it's big time it's a big time difference so the number one thing you can do if you want to reduce erosion is you go no-till or dramatically reduce your tillage the number two thing you can do is put tile in seriously it's it's that it's in that order that's what you do so tiling is going to be better than anything else you can come up with other than if you were to go no-till.
0: All right, Brian, we've got a number of questions in here for the Egg PhD mailbag. We'll dive back in there. Uh, this one from MK Got a couple of products, and I'm curious about the rain fast times on these, and could you also talk about just performance if you do catch some rain? Uh, CarTap hydrochloride insecticide and also bifenthrin insecticide.
1: Yeah, on the CarTap stuff, I'm not familiar with that, but what I what I saw, four to six hours is what they're going to tell you, and bifenthrin's an hour. But here's my general statement. If you get anything to dry on the plant then usually you're rain safe. So in a lot of cases, it's 20, 30 minutes, maybe an hour for just about anything out there. Uh, The label may say something different, uh, and I'm not saying don't follow the label. The label is the most accurate, but I am saying you can get pretty good performance if it's rain safe even for uh, just a few minutes. But, or I mean, if it gets applied and then... Uh, you don't get rain for at least a few minutes, preferably 20, 30 minutes, then generally you're pretty safe. But here's the other thing on insecticide, there's a chance that could work in the soil too. So if it's a herbicide that is just a contact killer, then it obviously has to go into the plant foliage and you don't get soil activity. So it all depends whenever you ask the, the rain fast question. Is it something that only works above ground on foliage? Is it something that could also work below ground? Because that's really going to change how I feel about that. Here's one other thing, and I know it's not this question, but I do get this question quite a bit because every year somebody will have this happen, and usually quite a few people, where they go... I get a call, and it's a panicked call typically. I just got out of the field. Or it's an agronomist saying, my farmer just got out of the field. He just finished spraying, and it rained. Should he go right back out and spray it again? And I go, no. <laughs> I'll bet you it's going to work at least 80 90% to that level. And the first stuff you sprayed probably is fine. It was just the last stuff you sprayed. So there's nothing you can do right now. All you can do is wait and just see if you have to go respray in whatever a week, two weeks, three weeks, something like that, but don't worry about it too much. In a lot of cases, most of the stuff works pretty well.
0: All right. While well, we're on the topic of insecticide, get this one that came in from Kyle. He said, hey, guys, I remember listening to an episode where you were talking about treating a grain bin for weevils and other pests before filling it. Uh, I tried to look up that episode, didn't find it quickly, and just sent you this question.
1: What, what did you use? Yeah, so what we're going to tell you before you're going to put grain in a bin is always make sure it is as clean as you can possibly get it's got to be swept out and swept out really really well no dirt no old grain no nothing okay so it's clean and then you're going to spray with our suggestion in a lot of cases is just do a mixture of tempo and melathion so you've got two different insecticides they're both relatively safe to humans i'm not saying they are perfectly safe and you can drink them okay so please don't misunderstand you still need personal protective equipment and everything else but you're going to be fine these are not like killers where boy if you're in that bin for 10 minutes um, you're in trouble so malathion and temple you go spray those in the bin you spray them on the wall up as high as you can spray it on the floor then you get the heck out of there and seal that bin up
0: all right thanks for the question I get this one in from Jenny, and she said, "I've been using your AG PhD app for fertilizer removal charts, but this past year we grew a few acres of hemp for fiber production. I'm curious, do you have a removal chart for hemp? I didn't notice that as an option on your app.
1: No, we don't, and eventually we'll probably have to put that in there. Uh, I, I will tell you, Penn State has some information, so if you just want to look up Penn State hemp, And fertilizer removal, you'll find these numbers, but I'll tell you what it is real quick and and what they will will say. Uh, When it's hemp for seed, um, this is how many pounds per pound of seed grain. Okay, so not per bushel or anything like that, like we talk about with corn or beans or something. It's pounds per pound of seed grain. So for nitrogen, it's 0.075. Phosphate, it's 0.019. And K2O potassium, it's 0.01. Now, If you're raising the hemp for fiber, so in other words, you're taking that whole plant, uh, pounds of nutrient removal per ton of fiber, they'll say for every ton, you're going to take 12 pounds of nitrogen out, 2.74 pounds of phosphate out, and 2.6 pounds of K2O potassium.
0: All right. Thanks for the question. And you know what? I applaud you too. looking at, okay, what am I really going to pull out of the soil by raising that crop? That's a that's a big deal. If you want to be productive long term and the term sustainability goes out there all the time. This is what really sustainability is. I want to make sure I'm at least putting back what I'm removing or I'm going to feed my crop for the yield goal that I've got. Got this question that came in from George over in Bulgaria. He said, hey guys, this year I planted sunflowers as a second crop, but winter's coming and my question is, what's the right time, moisture, product, so forth for desiccation in sunflowers?
1: Okay, first of all, I don't like desiccation. I know there are a lot of people that do it. I refuse to do it on our farm and here's why. Because I don't think I'm good enough to figure out exactly the right time for every single acre. Here's what happens on our farm. And this may happen on yours as well. You see variants. So in other words, I got a sandy spot out there. Oh, that's been ready to go for a week. Um, So I don't need anything there. Um, I've got some hilltops, same kind of thing. They're in, they're done, they're ready. But then I got some low ground. And you know, it's getting close, it, it's re- it, it's about there. But am I, how many other plants am I actually going to check? Am I going to time this right? Because here's the thing unless your seed is mature, and I don't care what crop we're talking about, but unless that seed is fully mature, if you go out and desiccate, you're killing the plant too early, and now you got a problem. So, there's also a difference between we call it pre harvest burn down and then separately there's desiccation now they're basically about the same thing and you'd go well what's the difference okay well desiccation to me and here's what this means is I'm going to kill the crop off so I can harvest it easier with pre-harvest burndown it's I'm going to kill the weeds off so I can harvest easier so if you're just after a weed kill you want to wait as long as you can with but really you kind of want to do the same thing with the desiccation too but now you're really focused on that seed let me also say that i can tell you in soybeans and most crops if you desiccate you're going to hurt the germination on the seed so if it's ever a crop that you're going to try to desiccate and you want to raise that for seed production uh yeah you that's not going to work so you can't desiccate or you shouldn't desiccate but anyway um Here in the United States, a lot of people talk about paraquat or glyphosate. So, I don't know what crop or what herbicides would be labeled in your country for desiccation. But yeah, I'm just, I'm always going to be scared of desiccation. And I'm sure we have lots of people listening right now that go, Well, I desiccate every year and it works fine for me. I just, I worry about it because I'm afraid I'm not going to maximize yield. I'm just afraid I'm going to do it wrong and I'm going to hit some areas that I shouldn't be out there yet. I kill the plant off too early, and I cost myself a little bit of yield, which means I cost myself money, plus I spent money on the desiccation. So (laughs) that's that's my feeling on it. In sunflowers, usually the heads are yellow, the bracts are turning brown, but the seed moisture's got to be less than 35%. That's typically what we're looking at. Stay tuned. We'll get to more questions in the Ag PhD Mailbag. Take your tillage to the next level with
0: the Insight Universal Tillage Tool from McFarlane Ag. With more adjustability and flexibility, the Insight is the ultimate one-pass tillage tool. Visit mcfarlandag.com to find your closest dealer. From machine storage
7: buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com.
3: It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: Where are you getting your fertilizer this year? Just about anywhere you look, it's going to cost more. And you may even find it's harder to get when you need it. It sure would be nice to have a better source of crop nutrients. Believe it or not, you do. It's your soil. Source from Sound Agriculture unlocks more of the nutrients already in your fields, so you can add less fertilizer while getting the yield you're counting on. It's such a solid backup plan, you'll probably find yourself wondering why Source wasn't the plan all along. Visit sound.ag to learn more. listening to ag phd radio broadcasting from the morton studio today and we are right in the middle of the ag PhD mailbag taking your questions via email radio at agphd.com, or by phone 844 44 ag phd got this one in from kellen uh, and he said hey guys i heard you talking about manganese recently and about the discussion with tie up from glyphosate. I'm curious, the testing that you referenced that you did, did you do tissue tests, soil tests? Uh, how did you, how did you go about trying that out?
1: Okay, so this is quite a few years ago now, but there was this talk out there that if you put glyphosate on the plant, that it was tying up all the manganese, or manganese, I should say, and that glyphosate that ended up in the soil, just from normal use rates, was preventing manganese from getting into the plant, being used, all that kind of thing. So what we did is we put one a 100x rate of glyphosate on the soil. So 100 times what you would normally use. And we did it two years in a row. And then we did tissue tests. And we did that side by side with where no glyphosate had ever been applied before. Yes, we did have some ground that was that way. So we compared those two things and you know what we found? Didn't make any difference. So when we saw that, it's like, come on. I mean, there's so much bad information out there. It's it's it, it's so unfortunate. Now, the only good thing is it gives Darren and me a job because we get to talk about all the nonsense that there is out there and all the lies that you hear on a regular basis. But please don't believe that you're going to spray glyphosate on that plant and it's going to tie up manganese. That absolutely doesn't happen. I will guarantee you. Uh, what does happen, though, is not many people fertilize with manganese and we find a lot of soils that are deficient in manganese. So here again, I think a lot of times we as farmers, well, just our society in general, we look for the easy out and and it's always not our fault. Well, there's nothing I could do and, you know, it's a roundup. it. It just tied up all the manganese and there's no way to overcome it. Come on. That's ridiculous. Put more manganese on the soil, you'll get more manganese into the plant. We've proven that time and time again. So If you're short on manganese, don't be blaming Roundup or anything else. Let's look internally and just say, hey, we just didn't put enough manganese out on our soil.
0: All right. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that. I had this one come in from Bill over in southern Indiana, and he said, a local local service provider did my spraying this year due to me not being able to have the extra time this year. I have a mess to clean up now. Johnson grass, Palmer, <laughs> oh, and vines. That sounds I'm, rough. I'm not sure if I should go beans or corn next year. What would be a really good fall application program I could spray myself?
1: Here's the challenge: the you got a grass, you got a grass, and you got two broad leaves, and the grass is a perennial, and the broad leaves are two of the tougher ones that you're typically going to fight. So Roundup isn't going to do it's not going to kill your palmer it's probably not going to do a great job on the vines it might but that that's that's the challenge so what would i do i'd go out there with two quarts of roundup plus a quart of, of dicamba and everything would be dead now here's the other thing i want you to think about palmer and the vines you're most likely speaking of are probably annuals. Now, granted if it's field bindweed, that's a different story, that's perennial. But if it if those are just annual plants, winter's going to kill them off anyway. And this question comes from Indiana and it does freeze in Indiana. So if you're way south, then I could see, well, uh, maybe the winter won't kill it off, but in Indiana, it's going to kill the palmer, it's going to most like well, it's going to kill every annual vine that there is. So I'm just saying, I don't know if it's necessary to kill those things. But if you want to, uh, yeah, corded dicamba would wipe them out. And, I, I mean, that would also kill every winter annual you've got out there, including mare's tail and henbit and weeds like that. Um The challenge, though, is if you put dicamba—well, if you do it this early, you're fine. You can go to anything you want next year. If you do it real late, then you might have to just go to corn next year. I mean, yeah, dicamba doesn't last real long in the soil, but a lot of times, like in our farm, we might spray it just a week before freeze-up. Well, then we plant right into the frost in the spring, (laughs) so there's no time to get rid of the dicamba. Uh, In your case, yeah, you could spray dicamba right now. That's what I would do. Otherwise, you could use 2,4-D at a really high rate. Uh, with the Johnson grass, you gotta have a very a very strong rate on that Roundup, and if you listen to our show from time to time, we'll say, hey, don't put a Group four like a 2,4-D or dicamba together with Roundup because it's gonna basically the dicamba or 2,4-D will shut the plant down before the Roundup gets the chance to go all the way into the extensive root system of the perennial weed. What we're talking about is broadleaf weeds, like Canada thistle, for example. you got to do one or the other, not both. But when it's Johnson grass, well, dicamba and 2,4-D aren't going to stop Johnson grass. They're not even going to slow it down. So I'm not worried about the dicamba or 2,4-D uh, in any way hurting the performance of that Roundup. I mean, now it could a little bit, because there's a little bit of antagonism when you put Roundup together with a dicamba or 2,4-D, but that's why I'm running two quarts of the most concentrated glyphosate i can get and it just follow the label okay go with the highest labeled rate so look at look at look at the label look at the highest labeled rate in basically in effect you're non crop now and go spray that that should get your johnson grass under control oh one last thing do it before you do tillage if you if you're going to do some tillage like the next day wait give it like 3 days Uh, then you'll be a lot better off. But do this for sure before you do any tillage. That way you get the best chance to kill the entire Johnson grass plant.
0: All right. I got eight questions here from John out in Maryland. So I'm going to fire him at you rapid fire. All right. So I got 30 seconds each, Tom. Okay. So first of all, he said... Yesterday, you had said nitrogen can
1: tie up Roundup. No, nitrogen does not tie up Roundup. Nitrogen can help Roundup. What we said is in liquid 28%, there are very often contaminants in the bulk liquid 28% you may buy. Things like dirt, for example, that can tie up the Roundup. And I would say this, too. Don't use liquid 28% as a carrier. You want to use water as a carrier for Roundup.
0: Okay. You said, uh, what about ammonium sulfate? Can you mix that? And do you need yes. an acidifier
1: with the AMS? No. No. Ammonium sulfate is an acidifier.
0: Okay. What about crop oil versus MSO in terms of using that with Roundup?
1: Both are fine. The MSO will uh, work just a hair better because it's a natural product. Basically, it's like a soybean oil or something, some some type of crop. Oil, even, okay. I'm going to confuse this whole thing. Let me just very simply say they'll both work. I prefer MSO just a hair better, but both work fine.
0: Okay, now, temperature questions. First, hot. How hot is too hot with adjuvants in terms of burning the weed and limiting uptake? Does this change with temperature?
1: It doesn't. Um I'm not worried about having it too hot. In other words, if you let's get a say crop response. Right. Yeah, I'm not worried about the weed. I'm only worried about the crop response. Okay, so when you go to crop oil and especially methylated seed oil, you're going to see more burn in the crop. The reason why is because the purpose of crop oil and methylated seed oil in there is to penetrate through, to bust through the wax of the leaf. Well, let's say it's been it's early in the season. It's been cool and damp, and there isn't a whole lot of wax on that leaf. Well, you're going, to, you're going to get amazing weed kill. So it's not going to hurt your weed performance at all. But you're going to see a lot more burn on that crop. That's why that's when a lot of people are just using non-ionic surfactant. At that point, that's all that's needed. But yeah, in terms of weed control, not going to hurt it. Okay.
0: How about uh, this one? Does wax get harder on the leaves... To cut through in cool temperatures, can you get too much of these mixtures uh, with the uh, adjuvants and so forth? If I'm doing low volume spraying, like the lowest volume of water you can use on label for Roundup. Uh, if, if I'm doing that, do you recommend going by a percentage or a rate per acre Uh, on the edge? Yeah.
1: If you were going to run super low water, like I don't know what the lowest labeled rate, let's just say, for example, it was two gallons. If you're running two gallons, then I'm probably going to increase my percentage. I'm probably going to go more to the quart per acre or something like that, as opposed to the gallon per hundred kind of method that a lot of people will use. Okay. Uh, but. Oh, but there was another part of that part to that question. What was the first part to that question? It was a two part question.
0: Does wax get harder to cut in cooler temperatures? No.
1: It's just that in the cooler temperatures it's going to take longer for the herbicide to move to the growing point, so that's why you don't want to spray in the cooler temperatures.
0: All right, you got the last three questions and you only got thirty seconds. Uh, L I seven hundred, what is it?
1: Yeah, it's a soy oil, reduces pH, reduces foam, reduces drift. It's okay. We don't use it, but it's okay. What okay. else?
0: Um is there anything comparable to that? Yeah, there's tons of adjuvants Lots. out there. And then the last thing, do you think spraying Roundup earlier in the day would cause the plant to pull more in before it got cool at night? What time of day do we you can. recommend
1: uh Roundup applications? All depends and on the day. Tips? But a lot of times I mean, we just we need some heat. I don't want to spray when it's 50 degrees. I want to spray when it's 70. If it's yeah, 70 in the want to morning spray in great. The middle,
0: Yeah, I probably want to spray in the middle of the day when you get into the
1: fall when it warms up just and a little. And definitely bit. you got to have no dew on the plant.
0: Hey, thanks for all the questions, John, and thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.